Hello, everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode of the FM Times podcast. And this time I have an amazing guest with me, someone who I've known back from my 2018 Startup Bootcamp days and have been in touch with him. Hey, Jeff, pleasure to have you on the podcast. My absolute pleasure to be here, Omesh. Absolutely. And I think I remember the numerous coffee conversations we have had. The one that we had most recently where we obviously got together and said that we should be doing this podcast. So thank you so much. This podcast, we're going to be deviating. Jeff, on the FM Times podcast, we normally talk about everything around built environment and facilities management. But we thought that there's this one neighboring space, which is always kind of intrudes into facilities management is enterprise asset management and asset management especially there's a lot of focus that's been going around over the last couple of years it's always been there but significant focus going around and thought that why not talk about the state of asset management in Australia uh, especially someone uh, like Jeff who's had significant work in asset management particularly in transportation has worked with giants like Downer, Transurban and Inventia, and obviously your early part of the career uh, has been in construction. So you've been in things of all the sectors which are pretty heavy on assets. So before we get started, Jeff, would love for you tell the listeners brief about your career journey and just to hear from you. Yeah, happy to do that. I guess you can't really plan a career. Sometimes young people and they say, how do I plan to get where I want to go to. I don't think you can do that. There's a lot of luck. But fortunately, I started out studying civil engineering and applied maths, which I couldn't have chosen a better combination. They've both been really useful for what I've ended up doing. My early career was in construction. And then I sort of fell into telecommunications, which which was really good because it gave me a really solid grounding in operational technology. Um, So... Like I say, nothing planned, but the right place at the right time. So I spent many years in the telco sector building and then maintaining networks. That's something I've really leveraged for understanding Internet of Things and how we can best communicate from physical assets into the digital world. So really Mm. useful for, for asset management. So Jeff, just curious before we get started, I mean, you've obviously had like a diverse and a, and a long sort of career. And by the way, you still look very young. I mean, I can't <laughs> imagine where did you get all those years that have gone into your career? Lots of gray hairs. <laughs> <laughs> but my question was, it's interesting you mentioned whether construction or telecom or the most recent work in transportation. And now I think EY a more broader. You've seen the two worlds merge, the physical and the digital. What was it like when the first you realized that the worlds are merging? I mean, what was going through your head as a professional? For me, it was opportunities. And I remember seeing technologies back in the mid-90s. I think Mm. it was 95 and I was building a a fiber cable in Australia between Adelaide and Perth across the desert. Mm. Mm. And finding your way there is pretty difficult. And, Mm. And this new GPS technology had been made available Mm. to the public. Mm. The US military had opened it up just six months prior to that project. And we were already using waypoints there to track where we were putting the fiber and we were using touchscreen computers and imagining what the future would be like and trying to use those tools. So from those early days in the mid nineties, I very much had a vision of technology here's how we could use it the struggle for me was always 
the technology was never quite there for a long time. So mm. often mm. I, I would say, here's how we can use the technology, but it was a bit too clunky. And then probably over the last, I, I think really from about the early 2000s, technology mm. started to catch up to what I could see it could be used for. And suddenly right. use cases that I'd piloted maybe five years before Right. was starting to become mainstream and I realized you could jump on some of these ideas that have been floating around for a long time and actually start implementing them. It must have been great to witness that because we'll probably dwell upon it more. I often see and I remember us chatting on coffee when we were discussing it like today it feels like it's less of a technology problem but more of an application problem but again we cover more when we move into the domain. So starting the discussion obviously uh Enterprise asset management is a vertical, long published by Gartner, huge business, a lot of softwares, and some of the recent changes globally that we've been seeing, you've spoken about the use of technology, more data, transformation, and I think in some of the spaces there is a concern on the great retirement that a lot of core technicians are sort of would retire in five to 10 years and stuff like that. So that's what globally people are talking about. Just wanted to understand from you, what are you experiencing in terms of where is enterprise asset management as a space in Australia? And are there any deviations from what we are seeing globally? I think Australia is in a a very similar space, actually, to Mm. what you're seeing globally. Yeah, we're definitely getting an aging workforce. Mm. and, And some of those people who had great skills and just knew when things needed to be maintained or knew what needed to happen, we've got to replace their Mm. knowledge with institutional Mm. knowledge Mm. Uh, the best way to do that is to use data so Mm. we're seeing a lot of organizations starting to use more and more data to make better Mm. decisions so Mm. it's certainly a really good trend i'm seeing opportunities with multiple data sources Mm. and, and superimposing one data source over another to get much better solutions and give better asset condition and knowledge of what's happening especially with remote assets i saw one team. of your posts yes on linkedin yeah. correct yeah yeah that's right we've got a team focusing on space tech and using satellite imagery and different mm. types of imagery so it can be thermal imagery all sorts of things to understand the condition of assets maybe overlaying sensor data onto mm. that data set and combining that with the traditional asset data so we can start to verify and we understand where things are what the Mm. condition is Mm. using multiple layers and multiple dimensions that we're looking at so basically suggesting that australia is no different in terms of what the global markets are and obviously your post on space tech was was very interesting because i think you've got a whole team now that's working on it so probably the next question that I wanted to ask on this, obviously, that's a very valid point where you mentioned that there is a focus on some superimposition of data and not just look at unilateral data and say, this is our asset data and the database, this is sensor and all the others. What's the business aspect that's really driving all of this? So what are your customers talking about? Or probably before you joined Eva, you were on the other side of the fence. What were you thinking when you were implementing some of these technologies or wanting to implement some of these technologies? That's a great question. I think there's a, a couple of key drivers. One is, you know, cost savings. People want to reduce the, the amount they're spending on maintenance, potentially, not mm. over-servicing 
things, mm. but also increasing the asset life. So making mm. sure things are being maintained at an optimal level. So very much a financial imperative. Mm. Um, but then the other side of it is around sustainability too. So people want to make sure that they're doing the right thing by the environment and moving into a zero emissions future. Asset management has a, a big part to play in that sector as well. Interesting when you say that my major part of my work has been with the, the built environment, like infrastructure, hospitals, airports and stuff, and working with FM companies or asset owners. But I've numerous times tried to convince, and they probably are now seeing the point, that operations and maintenance cannot be an isolation with your sustainability strategy or net zero strategy. But sometimes it appears that whenever you see the white papers, everyone talks about replacing things, capital expenditures. Do you see that? Are you starting to see that your customers are, or are starting to understand that, okay, how I operate and maintain an asset, besides having a cost implication, also has an energy and a carbon implication and is a core part of the net zero strategy that they might as well work on? Absolutely. In fact, I, I think a lot of people are really surprised that they might be able to reduce their energy footprint. Not only are they saving money, because they might be paying less electricity or fuel, oh. but they're also improving their environmental credentials as well. So mm -hmm. there's huge benefits in better maintaining assets and optimizing how assets run, really. Makes sense. Just another fun question. I mean, fun because I would really love to know this answer from you. So who do you like to talk, like in organized, the different stakeholders, which are important in asset performance management, right? Like the seniors, as you would call it, or for manage. And then there are people who are working on the shop while you were on the other side of the fence and now you're on the consulting side. But do you end up listening to different messaging to different stakeholders? And particularly, what do you think would be the messaging that best resonates with people on the shop floor or the ones who are actually going and operating and maintaining? How do you make uh, them convinced that yeah. you come on this side? I think the best thing is firstly to get in your high vis is always my advice and listen to the guys doing the work because they'll often understand the challenges and why things are the way they are better than the C-suite. You know, they're often very removed. And by listening, you build a bit of credibility. So mm. I think that's really important. You can't just go in and say, here's a better way to do things. You've Makes absolutely sense. got to give people time. And that's part of a change management process as well. And then coming up with solution or optimizations that they can understand what the difference that you're going to make is. So mm. often I'll look at where the biggest cost is and, mm. and where someone spending the money and then focus on those areas to reduce mm. that don't try and improve everything in a operation or an asset try and focus on, on what's the big things that can drive the biggest influence and people will see that pretty quickly so i find if your ideas or your proposal you're putting forward actually benefits an organization they're very mm. open to the change and you add a bit of credibility in there because you're addressing their real needs and absolutely will listen there. And you're kind of wisely choosing your battles and not trying to fight uh, all the battles that you could at the same point in time, isn't it? That's right. Look, you can go to the CEO and you can pitch an idea that will improve air conditioning efficiency by a few percent and mm. he's, 
he'll probably say that's great, but it's not his priority. But if you're going to the facility manager and say, mm. hey, I can improve your air conditioning efficiency, he'll be very interested. So it's the right conversation with the Makes right sense. person in an organization as well. So leading on, absolutely great points. Which sectors do you think are specifically in Australia more inclined to be investing heavily on this overall transformation in enterprise asset management? Of all the sectors, what sectors do you think would pick up pace faster? Look, I think we're seeing it happening very much in the mining sector where they've got a lot of very asset intensive industry. I'm starting to see a lot more acceleration in utilities, transportation. They're becoming a lot more aware of how big their asset bases are and the mm. opportunities that are there. Mm. So traditionally, you'll see more of a, of a movement in asset classes that are moving plant and equipment. So that's been a lot of focus, but I think now we're starting to see more and more into fixed assets and that includes real estate as well. Mm. And has there been any specific movement you've seen across real estate? Because I think real estate has been built environment has largely been very sensitive towards sustainability and energy. You know, operations and maintenance has kind of not got the same focus as sustainability has got because of the impact it has on your tenants and the entire contracting. You're seeing something that improve in Australia. One last point, maybe, because I think Australia has been actually quite ahead in terms of the technologies used in built environment. And that's where kind of right in the top competing with what we are seeing in elsewhere. So I, I think the real estate sector has been a bit of a, a beacon, shining light like on the hill. Mm. We've had the Green Building Council, the star system for buildings, and that's very much driven five, six star building. And it's something tenants really mm. look for. So it's almost a sector that I think everyone else is looking to and saying, how do we replicate that? Mm. How do we create? Mm a similar mm. system mm. to show asset efficiency and you know leverage some of the ideas that have come out of the real estate sector for sustainability so one thing that comes to my mind you're quite neighbors is a great success story without a shadow of a doubt i think the kind of portfolio and the maturity at which that their entire system is simply commendable what i also just from the conversation thinking that as the major real estate asset owners or developers you know they would have a possibility of going higher on the star ratings if they then start to focus on operations and maintenance and dovetail that with the overall sort of system in that sense you said there's a clear need there's cross pressure sustainability technology is probably where it should be for people to get started it always evolves it doesn't yeah. stay constant if you were to play devil's advocate, what do you think would stop or derail this change? I mean, are there any things that we should be focused on or guard ourselves against? Whether it's I think we need to be really careful that we don't have technology implemented for technology's sake. Mm. Everything's got to have a purpose and mm. be part of the plan. You know, if, mm. if we're doing things in isolation, we can make our lives really difficult. So mm. we need to plan how we're doing these things and we've got to show benefits of why we're doing these things. So if people are spending a lot of money without getting benefit, things get derailed mm. really quickly. Mm. But there is a lot of opportunities Makes in the sense. sector. Does that include organizations end up doing POCs or like at will without thinking much? Like, does it also include there that don't do POCs? Ex mm. Exactly. Mm. I think over the last four or five years, innovations almost become a dirty word in some organizations. Mm. Innovation is really important. It shouldn't be like that Makes at sense. all, but innovation's got to have purpose. And 
you know, even the most simple innovation or change to a process or a system should have a basic business case and address a basic business need. Otherwise, it shouldn't be done. So I think it's really important. We shouldn't just be innovating because we can, but we should make sure there's a reason we're changing things and making things better. Makes sense. Makes sense. And, and you mentioned about the time angle as well, that it probably will take time. You said that the focus has to be there on showcasing benefits, right? I mean, just want to understand how patient were you when you were on the other side with, in terms of any initiatives that you do as an individual, not the organization. How much time did you give yourself on any new initiative and say, at least this much is needed for us to really figure out whether it's going to add value or not? What were typically things that you were looking at? Like, how would you define early success and say, all right, this initiative needs a further move on? I'd look to see some sign of early results. And look, it might be that the plan shows results and Mm. the plan's just a little bit longer. So as long as I can see that there is a path and a path forward, I wouldn't be giving up on things. Some things will take longer. You might have to try and fail a few times before Mm. you can capture that prize. Makes sense, makes um, sense. Yeah, it really depends on the individual initiative and the energy that the people have on it as well. So it's got to be your stakeholders have to stay engaged as well. Mm. So Mm. if your stakeholders have moved on, you might still be really keen, but it might not be an initiative you should be further investing in at that time. Makes sense. And just one last thing, maybe before we dive slightly deeper into built environment, have you seen organizations like one of the things that i've seen in middle east and uk we do a lot of work in the uk australia at least in middle east and in uk we've seen that the people are putting in budgets so now they have a timeline in place so they are not saying that we've got to do something about it they're they're saying this is by when we'll have to do something we put a timeline we put a budget in place so those conversations are very good to have when you know that there's a certain level of urgency that the sector displays or the industry displays. Whereas in the Middle East, we've seen that this conversation, but not everyone has a budget and a timeline in place. How do you see Australia being there? Like, are people willing to spend? Do they have budgets dedicated or how is it? I mean, based on your conversations. Yeah, look, it's really different across different organizations. But are there any I, sector stuff, like you said, mining? So would that be still be different within mining as well? Look, I, I think budgets get created if you can show benefits. So mm. I've never mm. really struggled to get a budget if I could show a business benefit. Then it's a matter of selling what that benefit is. I get, my, get my guys to do a crash course with you. Yeah, but ultimately, the skill that's often missing is creating the business case. Um, And a good business Mm. case will create the budget. And the C-suite will generally say yes to it if they can see a a really good benefit. It's very hard Mm. for someone to say no. They don't want to improve their bottom line or improve their service delivery for their customers. It's really hard not to improve safety or sustainability if you can show here's what we're going to spend and here's what we're going to do. The key is making sure that you deliver on that, the first one, and then Mm. people will release more budget. Where people put a whole lot of budget for new initiatives or innovations without prescribed outcomes. To be honest, that probably scares me a little bit. It's really hard not to perceive to waste that money. It's sometimes easier to have to prove the money you need to do something. 
And I think I, I hear you when you say someone has money, but you can't be throwing money to all the problems without knowing what problem you want to solve because it it might not be exactly. sustainable. Next time you may not have that money, and it's going to be like 10x more harder to convince people to get money to solve the right problem. That is super helpful, Jeff. Towards the last part, just wanted to maybe discuss more on. Uh, the built environment i remember we spoke about that you're excited about real estate and built environment as an opportunity and then just wanted to move in there's not a lot of playbook available for when you look at asset performance management and enterprise asset management for yeah. built environment typically it's been stuck at cmms which is more like a record keeping or a cafm so just wanted to understand what according to you would be the playbook for real estate and built environment to take a fresh look at enterprise asset management I, I think yeah. leveraging existing data sources, it astounds me when you see a new building that's been built in a BIM environment, so 3D model, all the data mm. stored. Mm. The construction companies are using the, these technologies mm. for clash detection and things like mm. that. And, and when you move to operations, facilities management, maintenance, it's like none of that information exists. Moves. It's right. Yeah. So, so I think there's a real divide between design mm. and construction a, a versus operations and maintenance. So having the data stay there, um, mm. then that can be right through. There's things that get lost like photos through construction. Um, mm. That can be really useful when you're trying to find the root cause of a problem. It's like yeah, being able to go back in time and mm. have x-ray vision to maybe look at reinforcement inside a column or something like that you just can't do after it's built and then leveraging that data with sensor data iot data to build digital twins when mm. i'm talking digital twins i'm saying not a 3d representation that, that can be part of it but that simulating how one of the systems in, in a building is having mm. so then we mm. can predict it we can optimize it that's where we'll get real value in the real estate sector so you're saying probably one of the recommendations for real estate sector the ones that are large enough to implement it is the fact that at least for the greenfield projects do away with this isolation between design and construction and have a pipeline in place so that the data from design construction phase could move to the operational phase and then at a later stage yeah the developer needs to specify what information they want to get for, from the designer and the builder. So that information is really critical and mm. it's something you really need your operations maintenance side to feed in what they need to get most value and Makes not sense. lose data through the process. So, so it's largely the asset owner needs to specify and that's where the rule comes in because otherwise you'll always have the disjointed efforts. Um, but let's say someone who, who listens to this and says, fair enough, A, we should be leveraging more of the existing data, which means we have building management systems, we've had data from design, construction and stuff like that. And someone listens to this and say, hey, Jeff, that sounds like a good idea. But how do we go about it? Like one of the things is how should they pace themselves? Because we could yep. clearly see in Australia or any developed economy that there are some players which are way ahead and majority are not. So the challenge is how do you help them catch up? So what would you recommend? How should they pace? What should be stuff that they should do in short to medium term? If it's an existing building site or an existing facility, I'd start with looking at one solution we want to improve. Mm. One issue rather we want to improve. Mm. What's one really good solution? And that just helps to build the business case. 
but we can actually show, we talked about air conditioning and chillers before, we can actually show if we model the air conditioning through the building, we can actually save some money. So mm. that gets everyone's attention and we can absolutely implement that. But mm. then at the same time or after that's implemented, we mm. start to then work on data structures for the whole facility. Mm. And mm. that lets us leverage what we're doing from that first piece of work into something broader that we can use for the whole facility. It just makes it easier to do anything else. So then we get mm. rid of data silos and we get all our data connected. We get it linked into that 3D model so that we understand what's where and we're not losing really important data. Makes sense. So you're saying even though an organization might be behind, but it still makes sense to go slow, solve a couple of things and then tie it all part of the picture and not try to rush too much because it's probably not go anywhere. I think if you try and build all the data foundations first, that, that's quite an expensive exercise. And if you haven't proved any benefit Makes um, sense. and you're that's going through point. it, in a year or so and all you've done is spend money that that can be a challenge to convince that's stakeholders a, to keep going so i think that's a good point like a lot of people want to first solve and say okay i'm going to build my data lake and stuff like that without the use cases and then figure out i didn't probably get so you're saying try out learn and then sort of scale versus saying let's scale before we learn anything about the organization itself that makes sense just the two last questions which i basically want to ask one is the you spoke about the aging workforce. Is there anything particular you are seeing that organizations are doing about it? You said that you have to institutionalize knowledge and that's part of the, the process. Have you seen any specific initiatives or anything that has excited you in this space? Look, I think this is a one of the biggest challenges mm -hmm. industry face is losing that knowledge. Usually, in my experience, most organizations only start to really act on it when they lose some critical mm. knowledge and realize the people that have left know how mm. things work and they can't fix something or no one knows where something is stored that those sort of issues right. come up they're often triggers to then start to improve information management and data in right. general that's almost becomes a wake-up call in what i've seen right right and wrapping up that was a great discussion jeff thanks I knew it's going to turn this way because obviously curtsy numerous coffee conversations we've had. One last thing, if you were to wrap up maybe in 30 seconds, 45 seconds, what are some of the areas that you are working on or you're probably incredibly excited to see over the course of 12 to 18 months from today? So I've just got a, a team that's come across from CSIRO's Data61 to, and they're really focused on digital twins. So it's a mm. team of data scientists that have done a lot of this work before, I can see huge opportunities to mm. build models, mm. understand how these complex systems are behaving to mm. predictive maintenance, to optimize systems. Mm. I just see that as incredibly exciting. Across sectors that you spoke about? Across utilities, mining, absolutely across transport, real estate, the whole built environment, I think there's just a world of opportunities out there that we're ready to help with. So it's really exciting. Awesome. Any personal milestones? If you could influence something in 12 to 18 months in this space, what would that be? Obviously, oh. to be very fair, you've had like a, such a long career. And again, I don't want to make it sound it, but any one thing you say that if you could influence a change over 12 to 18 months, you'd be immensely proud of the work. I think the biggest thing for me is influencing people's mindsets. 
and convincing them that these things are possible. We started mm. this conversation, I was talking about my early career and wanting right. to use technology that wasn't quite ready. There's a lot of people still will say to me, oh, technology, we tried that, it didn't work. So if I can change people's mindsets, convince them to give things a go and that there's better ways, I think that for me is hugely rewarding. Awesome stuff. And I can definitely say one recommendation to everyone, whoever is in that doubt, A, Jeff is very approachable, at least to me he was, but I think he's very approachable. Catch up with coffee with him and I think he'll definitely help you get out of that zone. Pleasure talking to you, Jeff. Just a quick recap for all our, our listeners. So Jeff really is saying that Australia is probably no different to the rest of the world on where it is and its journey on digital transformation across enterprise asset management. Some of the sectors are more prone to accelerate, which is mining, infrastructure, utilities, built environment has been a, uh, a shining light at least in the energy part and we hope that they can carry on the enterprise asset management space as well and the recommendation from Jeff for organizations which haven't started is go slow have a plan in place and then uh, build something to scale and do not do it the other way around so that's basically there and obviously one thing that Jeff particularly would be very excited about in 12 to 18 months, if he could influence a lot of people's mindset on everything around the digital transformation and the use of technology, which I'm sure Jeff would be able to do. And probably we'll do another podcast with him in 12 to 18 months to keep a tab on where Jeff is with that. But once again, Jeff, absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I simply love the conversation and I'm sure our listeners would love it too. My absolute pleasure and look forward to catching up for a coffee with you soon, Mesh too. Absolutely. I'm back in September for a couple of weeks, so we should definitely do the coffee. Thanks, Adan, Jeff. Have a great day ahead. My pleasure.